Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast, brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, Traeger Grills, Costa Sunglasses, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Over the past three years, I've had the opportunity to travel more, fish new places, and meet lots of new people. This podcast is somewhat of a log of the people that I've met along the way and the lessons that I've learned. Recently on a trip to Miami, I got a chance to meet a local hometown guide, Willie Espinosa, who's been fishing the waters of South Florida since he was a kid, who got a first skiff before a car and found a way to make fishing a part of his career. Willie runs Triple Crown Sport Fishing and offers both inshore and offshore trips, while also having his hands involved in a lot of other projects and things around the city. In this podcast, Willie and I have a laid-back conversation about his hometown waters of Miami, dealing with high-pressured fisheries, and his relationship with his father, and how fishing helped keep him out of trouble in his youth. We hope that you enjoy this podcast. Thank you for listening. This is The Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Let's so look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Hey, Willie, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. I'm excited to talk about your home waters of Miami. I've had a great couple days down here hanging out with my good friend, Dan Diaz. And uh, man, I got a long list of questions about a lot of the different things that you're involved with here in Miami. But before we get into all that, I'd love to hear about, as a kid, how you fell in love with the water yourself. Yeah, well, um, I fell in love with the water and Biscayne and outdoors and stuff because of my grandfather. Um, growing up as a kid, we had a 12-foot John boat, and we used to troll up and down Black Point all day long, catching these <laughs> massive barracudas. And uh, my dad had a lot to do with it also. He um, he grew up fishing Chukaluski with Captain Ray Culver, Chris Houston, Ron Houston, etc. Um, he showed me a lot. My dad, you know, he made me go up to that next level, mm-hmm. and I obviously surpassed him now in the future, you know. What would a trip like? So, talk me through a normal trip with your grandfather in that twelve foot jumbo. Cause... Uh, we would just, you know, he had an old night, you know, eighty four Ranger stick shift, so <laughs> that was already the hassle in the morning is getting to launch that boat. <laughs> but um, he'd have his, you know, his twelve pack of beer, sardines in a can, just old school Cuban, yeah, yo yo fishing. And I would have my little three thousand Shimano, and he'd be like, "Oh, you're not gonna catch nothing with that. You won't be able to bring it in." And then I'd whoop these big, you know, kudos with a little reel. He was like, oh, I guess you proved me wrong. You know, just 
Yo-Yo, old school, Cuban. Do, do you still, is he still with, with you today? No, nah, he passed away six years ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah, when you look back at that as a kid, like starting in that kind of, you know, you were saying old school Cuban, yo-yo fishing, yeah. but a lot like a lot of people, like a very simple type of fishing of just going out, using sardines, using live bait. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel like that kind of shaped you into being the angler you are today? I mean, it did a lot. It made me always want to level up and always, you know, want to be better and better and better and go out, you know, more than usual than the average person. Mm-hmm. Learn how to do more things like throw a big cast net, find where the bait's at every day, you know, mm-hmm. where to fish, tides. It made me want to learn and keep prospering up and keep leveling up. And your dad's a captain too, right? Um, He did he did get his captain's license, but he just got it when I wanted to get it so mm-hmm. he can like help me out and be there for me. Yeah, and he did. He helped me out a lot, but he never went through with the pa- the process with the paperwork, so he kind of like let it go. He just wanted to do it just so to be there by my side and like help me out. Yeah, so that that's one of the things that like talking with some of the guys around town here, they talk about how great of a relationship that you have with your father. Yeah, and a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you know, they have kids or they want to have kids, and they want their their kids to fall in love with the water themselves and to be conservation minded and, and, you know, to be good at whatever they do for, for you, like, tell me a little bit more about that relationship with your father and kind of how he's helped support you and, and make you who, who you are. Yeah. Well, me and my dad, we've, we have a very, very, very tight loop together. Um, mm-hmm. he's pretty much like my best friends, like you said, um, you know, just him taking me out, making the effort every weekend, uh, growing up to take me fishing, mm-hmm. you know, keep me out of the street, um, had me involved in baseball. Um, he just, you know, he made me a, a great kid growing up. Talk me through basically, you know, so you go from going out with your grandfather and, you know, you go out and catch Barracuda and you you loved it to wanting to say, okay, now I want to make this my, my full-time focus. Yeah. Well, ever since a kid, you know, I've always wanted – I never really liked school, to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, I did the school thing because my dad always wanted me to go, oh, I need you to at least graduate high school. And I did. You know, I was a great baseball player and stuff. But um, ever since I was little, I just wanted to be on the water every, like, 24-7. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be, you know, oh, I want to be a captain, like, ever since I was little. So is that something, like, right at 18, you you just started chasing that? Well, at 18, I kind of, like, backed off of it because it was, like, a hard time in the captain world at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, oh, let me just wait. You know, maybe I'll be more patient. So I started it. I went to um, appliance school, mm-hmm. which is what my dad did. And I learned how to do appliances and AC, and I did AC work a lot. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I would just do AC work and fish whenever I had enough money to go out, you know. So what did it look like when you decided, okay, now it's time to to leave the, the AC world yeah <laughs> behind and get into the water yourself i mean the ac world's a pretty hard job you know it's you're hot you know you're working sweating yeah so it pays very well but i was just timed i was like you know what let me go get my captain's license mm-hmm. maybe i could drive a few big yachts at the moment and then slowly do charters on the side and you know just have m- enough money to live in, in miami you know miami's very expensive place to live in yeah, so, so talk me into, I know that you do a lot of different types of fishing. So talk me through just kind of all the different types of charters and trips and, and things that, that you're doing now. Yeah, so um, the name of my company is Triple Crown Sport Fishing. 
And I liked it because triple crown is like three things. So um, I named it after that because it's the three big things. It's inshore, offshore, and freshwater fishing. Mm-hmm. Like I could offer you those three. Like if you want to go catch peacock, you know, snug tarpon, bonefish, whatever. Or if you want to go offshore and catch mahi, sailfish, you know, yellowtails, groupers, I could offer you that as well. Yeah, so that was kind of, I guess for me, kind of when looking into this interview, I found it really interesting one, just we're going to talk more about the Miami fishery, but for you to be able to be involved in, you know, so many different types of fishing. And I know you also do trips with vets and do some stuff for the city. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I got a captain gig um, working for Miami-Dade County. They call it the pontoon boat. All my friends make fun of me every time they, <laughs> you know, tag, they tag me. They're like, oh, look, a pontoon. It's really, but it's a 55-foot Corinthian Um we do an operation for um, the Wounded Warriors, mm-hmm. and every Thursday we take out uh, veterans. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be any veteran, any age, doesn't matter. And um, we take them fishing for free out here in the bay. And um, we just put them on snappers, mm-hmm. grunts, you know, whatever they could catch. As long as they bend the rod, they have a good time, you know. Yeah, and, I mean, that's a wide range of types of fishing and types of people, you know, because I know that you'll do – bonefish and permit yeah. and with really serious anglers and you'll take people who have come for the first time yeah, ever. they don't even know how to throw a rod out yeah, yeah yeah so i mean how has that shaped you as a captain spending time around you know those veterans and people who are brand new to the water um it's awesome man especially when somebody who's never really fished and they're there and they're trying to learn and they're like wow this is actually interesting and they catch their first fish even if it's a four inch you know grunt or a pinfish they get like this level of excitement. They're just like, wow, this is amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then like, I think in my head, I'm like, imagine if you're pulling on a permit, you know, like they don't even know what they have. Like, and they, they <laughs> enjoy it so much and they appreciate it, you know, cause to us, it's like a trash fish, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh. so that's like one thing that. Does that like impact your other types of trips that you do? Just going from like that transition to like, here's somebody who was really, really excited about catching a grunt to okay now you're chasing my my yeah you know how does that play in um it's it's you know it's a different level but um at the end of the day it's a little stressful when it's a little bit somebody that actually knows you know that oh yeah. they're expecting for me to put them on that fish you know so it's a it's a it's a big game changer it's a you know a lot harder on yourself you know you're like all right now we definitely have to like go out get this fish at least show mm-hmm. them the fish present it to them you know, you, it's like anything. You can't make them catch the fish, mm-hmm. but if you can show it to them, that's a good part, I guess. So the kind of the main thing I wanted to talk with you about was the Miami fishery because a lot, a lot, a lot of people talk about the Keys, and there's not as much talk about Miami kind of, you know, in the yeah. outside fishing world. But you guys have a huge, diverse fishery here, and you're really close access to a lot of stuff. Just give us like the the general overview of all the different types of fishing that you really feel like Miami really brings to the table. Miami really brings everything if you actually think about it. You know, it doesn't have you know as many plentiful redfish as you know Everglades National Park or uh, Ten Thousand Islands Chukaluski, but you know you definitely catch them here. You mm-hmm. know we have bonefish, we have tarpon, permit. I've seen pompano in the bay seen cobia black drum schools of black drum you know mm-hmm. we don't come upon them as much as we would in the everglades but 
you know, they're here, and you can definitely catch them. You get lucky and have one of those crazy days where you're just like, wow, you guys really do have everything here, you know? And what about the offshore kind of world? Offshore, it's one of the, it's one of the like hottest hotspots in the world, actually, because you know, in wintertime we have all these sailfish, wahoo, kingfish, which kind of sometimes do run all the way to the summer. You might get mm -hmm. lucky and catch some nice fish. Even when you transition to the summer, you, we get these mm -hmm. the mahi run, and then the mahi run, it's like everybody goes nuts, you know, mm -hmm. everybody's mahi fishing, weed lines, just everything, like. We have, there's just all seasons here. And then I know you were talking about earlier uh, taking Royce out to catch a peacock bass. Cause yeah. you know, I'm, I know people hit hit you up all the time just wanting to catch that peacock bass. What yeah. about the kind of, how do you do like a freshwater guided trip here? And what's that scene like? So here I have a private ramp. I have somebody that I know lives on a canal here that they're locked up, that you're not able to fish them unless you live like in the neighborhood. And um, I just ask him for that ramp, and he lets me put out a little skiff. Mm -hmm. And I'll just take people fishing, you know, just trolling motor around. It's plenty of peacocks all over the canal. Mm. And it's just one after another. You get like 30, 40 peacock days. Oh, man. Yeah. And do you all have snakefish, too? Uh, no, we don't have snakeheads here yet. Yeah. It's more up north, like Fort Lauderdale, Broward. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I was curious about that. Like, I didn't know if that was in the mix yet. Or... I mean, I'm sure there's some around, but not that I have caught personally around here yet. And you guys also have, so you got this huge wide range of, of fishing. You got all the hot offshore stuff. You got everything happening in the bay. You're close to the Keys. You're close to Everglades. And you guys have a 24-hour fishery. Tell me a little bit about, like, the nighttime scene of Miami. Oh. And I'm not talking about Dan Diaz's favorite nightclubs to yeah. go DJ <laughs> and, and party at. I'm talking about the fishing scene. Yeah, well... Pretty much from March to July, or pretty much March to August, we got a good, really, really good uh, tarpon fishery mm -hmm. at night in Miami. Um, all inside the city of Miami, actually, the government cut, haul over, all those areas, just all the migration tarpon, they come in. There's a few resident fish, but mm -hmm. it gets really, really hot, you know, around that time. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like, July, obviously, July to August, you know, September still is pretty hot as a snook fishery, too. And at night, you know, the snook just go off on all night when the mullet run comes in. Mm -hmm. Just different stuff at night that'll happen. Yeah, is that is that kind of what, what's your favorite out of all the different stuff you do? What's your favorite thing to focus on? Um, at night fishing, definitely tarpon. I love tarpon because mm -hmm. they're just it's it will be a flat calm night, currents rushing, and all you're gonna hear is freaking poof a pop, poof poof blasting all night and whatever. Whatever's running through the past, you know, shrimp, mullet, could be anything, pilchards. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely like nights that we'll catch, we'll hook up to like 20 plus mm -hmm. fish. And these are 100 pound, you know, 100 plus pound tarpon. Yeah. That anybody will look at and they'll freak out. They'll be like, well, what is that? You know. When when did you go like personally from chasing barracuda, you know, in a john boat to wanting to do, you know, the big three and wanting to chase after tarpon and permit bonefish and um, all that all i had to do with it with um when i finally got my first fiberglass skiff mm -hmm. um my dad was pretty much like you want a truck or do you want a boat like growing up i was mm -hmm. like 14 years old 13 and i was like no nah, man i want a boat you know and um there's this company in 2012 that just started ipb inshore power boats mm -hmm. and um i found it online in school and i showed my dad and it's like oh 1250 bucks you could buy a haul Mm -hmm. So we called them like the next day, and, yeah. 
Um, we're like, yeah, we'll send you a deposit. We want to haul. And three mm-hmm. months later, they built it. I got a little pulling platform made for it. I put it on the jet ski trailer. It was 14 feet. Um, I put a 9.9 on it. First, At first, it was old Mercury, 89 yeah. Merc, old, old Mercury. And then um, obviously ended up upgrading later to a 25 horsepower. But um, I'd go almost every day, have him drop me off or somebody I knew older that was already driving, go fishing with me yeah. after school. It was like every day religious. And we'd go out of Black Point because I lived here in Color Bay. And um, that's how I learned, man, just working the west side of the bay, the ocean side of the bay, all in that little boat, and just keep going every day, um, trial error, and just fishing and learning tides. And, oh, there's fish here, this tide, oh. And go the next day, and they're not there. And it's like, oh, what the heck? Well, that's the bay for you. <laughs> yeah. You know? And there's just a big learning curve growing up. Yeah, I mean, so you started tackling, really tackling that learning curve for yourself around 14 or, yeah. or 15. I mean, what, what does a, a trip look like with a 14, 15-year-old? I mean, you were real real serious, like hardcore? Or? Yeah, I was already, oh, um, the fly fishing scene was already, like, in my by the time I was 15, I already had fly fishing. Like, I was really a good a good caster by the time I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my dad's friends, Dakey Virgil, gave me my first fly rod. It was an old Florida with a Fenwick rod when I was 11. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would just go outside and practice every day. And one day I was like, holy shit, I just shot all this line out. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I started fishing, you know, yeah. like with it. So by the time I was 15, 14, I was pretty, I wasn't, I'm not going to be cocky about it, but I was pretty good at fishing already. Mm-hmm. You know, I was already going to Flamingo, catching all these reds on fly and doing all these crazy things. Yeah. And, and so when you were 15 years old and you're, your own little skiff is that predominantly what you were doing is fly fishing or you, i mean taking friends out i'm guessing you're gonna have to do some conventional the friends i would take out at the time weren't really like fishermen they would just learn so it was more spinning mm-hmm. but when i'd go with my dad and he'd pull me around most of the time i was fly fishing and stuff mm-hmm. what what tips would you give to somebody who is either in that age or has kids in that age with trying to to teach a the teenager how to respect the fishery and learn from themselves. And cause I know like on one hand, your grandfather and father played a huge role in taking you out, but they also wanted you to go out and figure stuff out for yourself and, and have that freedom. A lot of people, I think they want that for their kids or maybe they are young and you know, they want, they want to get out and, and start doing things at 15, 16 years old. Like what advice would you give around that? Well, definitely if it was a parent, I'd want them to do is like what my dad did with me is give him a float plan, you know? A float plan is like, oh, I'll be from point A to point C today, mm-hmm. and I'm not going nowhere else. So, you know, if I didn't come home by dark, my dad would know, all right, well, let's go look for him. Mm-hmm. He probably ran out of gas or something. Yeah. And he's broke down from here to here, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's a good, you know, back then I didn't really have a phone or anything at the time. So it's a good thing to have is like a float plan. And another thing is if they're interested in fishing, might as well, you know, let them have it. It's a good thing they're interested in fishing and not nothing else, like drugs or any other bad things. So might as well give them all that freedom as as much as you can. Yeah, do you feel like for you, if if you wouldn't have had the skiff, it, you would have went a totally different direction in life? Oh, for sure. If I didn't have my dad for me there backing me up with all these things, I I have a lot of old friends that aren't good, you know. You know, especially growing up around here, there's a lot of bad kids, you know, mm-hmm. especially at that age you know, smoking weed and all the crazy stuff at that time, you know. And, um, yeah, I definitely think I would have grown up way different if it wasn't for my dad. 
Mm -hmm. What is it like now when you, when you take a 15, 16 year old out for you? Now it's just, it kind of, it's kind of funny. Cause like, Oh, you look back at it. He's like, Oh, look, you know, like you were there at one point. You were like, not as good fisherman at one point there. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he's learning. So it's, it's humbling. What's your like favorite when it's, when you have a day off and you're either, you either can go by yourself or you can go with your best fishing buddy. What are you doing? What's your favorite thing? Um, I really, really love the bay more than anything. So if it's one of those great days, I normally fish now during the week because I work weekends. Mm -hmm. But I'd be fishing with my good buddy, uh, Captain Ulysses Rodriguez. He's another Miami local captain. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much the days we fish here are really short because he works in the afternoon in UPS. But we mostly target Biscayne Bay. Mm -hmm. And we'll be on, you know, permit, tarpon, bonefish, reds if they're around, you know, mm -hmm. snook, trying to get, like, these super slams yeah. on fly, you know. Like, so that's one of my, definitely one of my favorite things. For sure. I, one of the things I was curious about, too, is, like, you know, so you're native, so you really not only know the fishery, but know the culture. And I think for a lot of people, when you think of Miami, that there's definitely a strong, vibrant culture that exists how has that shaped you and how has that kind of in, in made this fishery unique and different? Cause it's definitely a very special place from, from the culture, the food to the water. Yeah. Well, most of the guys around here, you know, they're, we're Latin. So, you know, on the water, it's a big melting pot. You know, yeah. We've got our American friends. We got our Cuban friends. We got our friends that mm. a few, you know, they're, it's just different. Everything's different. You know, everybody's different. But most of it is like a big melting pot, you know. Do you feel like that produces something special or helpful? or? Yeah, it's kind of helpful because we're all pretty close, mm -hmm. at least like captain-wise. So, you know, if you haven't been out in a while, you like hit up this certain person. Hey, man, you know, well, how's the fish been? Like, And then he'll be like, yeah, they're, you know, they're, he's not going to tell you where they're at, but he's going to be like, yeah, you know, this certain area. And then you kind of like put yeah. things together. You're like, all right, you know, thanks, you know, appreciate it. Or vice versa, you know. He could ask me if I've been out lately and he hasn't, stuff like that. It's a very tight loop around here. Do you have, like, because you're so close to, to a big city that's a big tourist destination, do you find a lot of younger anglers? Like, I ask that because some people, they're guides, and the only reason people go to where they guide out of, the only reason is because they're somewhat dedicated anglers versus, like, somewhere like Miami where, like, you're there for – I can picture somebody, like, being there for a week and the dad being like, I want to yeah, go, go try fishing. fishing, you know, and, yeah, well, how does that kind of play out? It's a big – it's a big, like, 50-50. You you're going to have your clients that know how to pick up a fly rod and, mm -hmm. you know, present a fly to a fish, and then you're going to have your clients that don't know how to fish. You're going to have these clients that just want to go soak some shrimp on the bottom and catch anything. Mm-hmm which I have a lot more than actual, you know, clients that are very extreme in the sport. I still have clients that do it, but I have more clients that would just want to bend the rod mm -hmm. than anything, which is a lot easier on me, but, you know, it's just, it's like a 50-50 game. Yeah, is it is it hard for you to make that transition, like, from a guiding perspective to go from, you know, you're running that 55-foot boat to a 17-foot skiff the next day and... Um, it's not too hard because usually I'm on the water, you know, three to four times a week. Mm -hmm. So I'm on everything pretty much. Mm -hmm. I'm always on, you know, certain fish or I go to the park. I'm like, all right, the reds are going to be here this time. Snook are going to be in this spot. Just as long as you get your time on the water, man. Mm -hmm. That's what I tell everybody. 
As long as you get your time on the water, you're always going to be on the fish, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you have tips on, like, how to make that time more meaningful or or how somebody can maximize the time they have on their water, on the water? Um, it's just all the time they have available and they make it worth it, you know? As long as they keep learning and saying, like, it's always going to be trial and error. You're going to go to this one spot and you're going to be like, oh, you know, the water's high. There's nothing, there's not going to be anything here. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a few weeks later, you go and the tide's low, it's incoming, and there's actually fish on it. You're like, oh, shit, you know. Mm -hmm. I, You know, we're learning something here now. Fish are moving on this certain tide, fish aren't on this tide. Just stuff like that. If if you're good with it, I'd love to do some rapid fire kind of questions. I'm I'm changing the name from rapid fire to random fire. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter that it's rapid; it's just random. So now that's a it's officially now random fire questions. Um, I know that you have like a family tradition of going camping on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Could you tell a little bit about that? Well, um, it goes back to this guy, Thank you, Virgil. I gave him my first fly rod. Um, him and my dad, they moved in before I was born in the first mm -hmm. apartment in Kendall. They became good friends, and Dakey was doing it already for, like, five years before. And it was, like, a tradition thing, like, boys only, mm -hmm. you know, like, certain rules, like, very, not strict, but, like, it was, like, a boys only kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So he invited my dad because he saw my dad was into fishing. And, you know, when I was born, I didn't go till I was, like, five years old. My mm -hmm. dad started taking me when I was five. I haven't missed a year since. Wow. I've been, been going, you know. 18 plus years since then and um it's just we do it every thanksgiving we leave friday the day after thanksgiving come back sunday mm -hmm. and it's just a big group of people every year you know it gets bigger and bigger probably around 25 boats go wow. 60 people you know the whole it's it's on east cape uh, middle cape beach in flamingo so the point of the beach will be like you see like three tents and mm -hmm. All you see is a whole beach line up down, just full of tents, and like everybody's <laughs> boat is like side to side, anchored down the beach. And it's a really good special trip, man. Every year, can't wait for it to come. Outside of fishing, what do you guys do there to have fun, and make that special? Oh, um, well, when we camp, it's Saturday night. We pretty much um, have everybody cook a meal, mm -hmm. like a different meal, and then we all bring it, you know, mm -hmm. to the table. And then everybody has like a different kind of food, like sushi, goat, um, pig, like anything. Like sometimes people bring like just some crazy stuff they hunted in the winter mm -hmm. up north, and they bagged it just for the trip. Like ceviche, it's like everybody brings something. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes we don't even go fishing; we just stay anchored on the beach all day, fish off the beach. It's really good fishing, mm -hmm. and we just relax. It's just one of those weekends that we hang out with the whole boys and. We just get together and have a great time. You know, hearing you talk and knowing your story, family and community is a, a big part of your life. How do you feel like people can strengthen their families and, and communities just based off things that, that you've experienced to make it healthy? I don't know. Just more family time. Spend time together. You know, anything on the water with family, mm. it's it's always going to be a plus. As long as even if you're fishing – or just going to the sandbar, just family time, no matter what, it's always going to be a big thing. It's always going to be a plus, you know, just, you know, family time. Mm -hmm. As long as everybody's together having a great time, you're always going to be happy on the water, you know. Off the water, what are some of the, like, if you were writing a travel guide for Miami, like off the water, what are some places to eat or things to see, do that you feel like everybody should do when they're in Miami? Well, when they're in Miami, they for sure should go to Bayside. Bayside's a big place in Miami. It's a little mall. Um, they have, like, these little um, hurricane boats where they can, like, go. It's a go-fast boat. 
mm-hmm. and you go out for a good ride, come back. And it was great eating there too as well. But um, if you really come like to Miami, definitely visit the Lower Keys also. Mm-hmm. There's always a great amount of things to do there. Um, locally here, for sure, the Sandbar, it's our hangout spot down here. Mm-hmm. Um, we always all get together, Taco Tuesdays, Warren, Dan, all of our you know small mm-hmm. community of fishermen are here. Any uh, good like Latin or Cuban food that, that you'd recommend? Um, Casavana for sure. Cuban Vanna, we got one right here in Color Bay. Um, Sergio's, La Carreta on A Street. And what 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 do we need to get there? Oh, I've been I've been going around a, you know, we've been stopping here or there trying to get some well, good food. Well, if you want croquetas for sure, you gotta go to Isla Canarias. It's on A Street. Okay. They have the best croquetas there. But um, anything between pan con bite, you know, vaca frita stuff like that, mm-hmm. everything is good down here, man. Have have you been able to travel much in your life and and fish and get outside of Miami? Yeah, I went to Costa Rica last year to fish. Um, my mom's from Costa Rica. My dad's Cuban, right. so it's, I'm half and half. Mm-hmm. But last year I went for the first time, and it was pretty fun fishery there. Very different. Mm-hmm. You know, you go out a mile off the marina, you're already in a hundred feet of water. Versus out here, you go out a mile off the marina, you got eight miles of bait across, and then you're still in fifteen feet of water when you cross it. Till mm-hmm. you get to you know hundred thousand plus feet of water, but um, Costa Rica was definitely awesome, man. If uh, if you could go back to yourself when you were fourteen, fifteen years old, and you were putting in your skiff, you know, and you could give yourself some advice, what advice would you give yourself? Well, for sure, just keep trying, because there's definitely times I was getting frustrated. There's a point my friends would be like, "Oh, you catch his kudos," you know, which. Mm. It was at one point it was like that. Yeah. Until I started learning, you know, there's fish here, you know, there's fish there, there's this kind of fish there, there's stuff like that. With um, with thinking about like those years of 15, 16, 17, just running around in that skiff. Any funny stories or scary stories that stand out to you? Oh, there's one time that I grew up a little bit more. I was like 16, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna cross the bay today. And I was like, the bay is very unpredictable. It was very flat, calm in the morning. And it was me and two of my friends in the little skiff. You know, it was three people in the skiff. And um, for some reason, I swore that boat was like a hybrid. Like, it would never need gas. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, this boat is great on gas. <laughs> and we ended up running out of gas like Caesars Creek, which is, you know, across the bay. So I got on the pole, and I pulled all the way to Elliott Key, which was like three and a half, four miles away. And I got there. Cause this was um, where I'd have signal from my phone, mm-hmm. and I called my dad and I'm like, "Hey, we ran out of gas. We're over here in Elliot Key." And he was like, "Oh, I fucking told you not to cross the bay." <laughs> and um, on the way, by the time he got there, it was the afternoon. The afternoon storm came, pushed through, and we got gas with her. Got the motor started, and I'm crossing back with him, like on the boat next to him, and uh, I get a wave, and the wave just lifts the bow up, and the boat to the side. And one of my buddies at the time just flew out of the boat. <laughs> and I had to, like, and I and the whole boat, like, went under for some reason. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, the wave ate it, you know? And I was just there holding on to the platform, and I gassed it. <laughs> I had the 25, and it popped right out of the water. Boom. <laughs> and then I told my dad, I'm like, go, go pick him up. I'm going to keep going. It's now sink the boat, you know? Yeah. That was one of the crazy stories growing up. 
for 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 your dad you know like it's a it's a challenge i think for a lot of dads to you want to be hard on your kid you know so that they're ready for the world and they don't make mistakes and they're they're safe you know or they don't run out of gas and they understand you know so you want to be hard on your kids but you also don't want to push your kid away like for you how, how did how was that balance lived out in your relationship with your dad well my dad's always had like you know he wasn't strict but he had you know a certain amount of rules that I have to respect and follow. And um, it helped out a lot because I've known family friends of his, like his friends, and they're very strict on their kids. And, you know, their kids didn't really come out too well, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just trap your kid and tell them no, 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 no all the time. You got to give them some freedom, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's that's about it, man. What – so one of the things that I really like about Miami too, you talked about the community, but – there's a lot of when anytime you have a lot of people, you, you got a lot of opportunity to have a lot of talented people and a lot of uh, really good community. And you know, f- fishing with Dan the past couple of days, like Dan's definitely one of the the best guys I've ever fished with, yeah. hands down. Um, and I'm kind of curious, like what what things really develop world class anglers down here? Well, it's like I said earlier, a lot of time and effort into something. You know, you can't just go into fishing one day and be like oh yeah i'm gonna be like this guy you know mm. it's just all putting your time in man just you know as soon as as much as you can you know some people don't have enough freedom you know to mm. do it all the time but um yeah why do you think fishing is so important to you and your family fishing is a big stress reliever for us you know my dad he works all day and sometimes he just wants to get home hook up the boat and go fishing because he knows once you're out there, the world's gone. Mm. You have nothing to worry about out there, you know. Being out there is already a plus. You know, hooking up to something nice, it's, you know, mm. it's another plus. Doing, like, lots of different types of trips, you obviously have a lot of different types of gear that you got to keep up with. Like, do you have any tips on maintaining gear, boats, any anything that you think would be helpful there? Yeah, for sure your boat, you know, you have to do your regular maintenance 100 hours every 100 hours, you know, do your oil changes, your spark plug changes, um, your trailers, you just, you know, always want to keep those hubs greased up, especially if you're going every other day out, you know, hmm. don't want to get those hubs ate up. What about like rods and reels? Like rods and reels, I don't, I don't be honest with you. I don't do much. I just rinse them down. I don't really <laughs> grease them up and stuff. Like some people, they just very anal about their gear. Like me, you know, I'll just rinse out my rods, put them away ready for the next day you know they get used and abused and once mm. one goes out i don't even worry about fixing it or anything you just saw just go get a, you know whenever i have extra money go get another one stuff like that they last pretty long just doing regular rinse yeah so one of the things that miami's known for is lobster season and there's obviously a lot of people on the water and for those who fish in fisheries that are high trafficked with different things like lobster season going on what are some tips that you have to surviving lobster season for lack of a better phrase yeah definitely if you're diving for them um you'd want somebody commanding the boat 24 7. Hmm. you want him on top of the boat or you can you know switch off but definitely you want somebody on top of the boat making sure no other boats are coming around um too close to your divers and you know they could always hit them i've had close calls of boats coming 20 30 feet off me while I'm diving up Patch Reef, looking for lobster when they're supposed to be 100 yards away from the dive flag when they see it up there, you know. Mm-hmm. 
What about like, um, do you, from a fishing standpoint, do you have to just totally rewrite your game plan during those seasons? Um, not really, because everybody's more focused on, you know, going out to the reef and, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody's going to go dive these 80, 60 foot reefs. Everybody's going to be in the patches. And around that time, the patches aren't really producing as well. Mm-hmm. But the deeper spots will be, but, you know, there's not that many divers diving down deep. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really impact the reef fishing for me. What about like, so one of the things we were, we've been talking about how diverse the fishery is for you, how do you come up with a game plan when you have so many options and so many different species you can target and boats you can use? Yeah. Well, it just depends what I'm in the mood for or vice versa. If a client I have is, oh, I want to get lobstering or, or I want to go bone fishing and just, you know, whatever I'm either in the mood for, or if I have a client that day that wants to go out and tag a certain species. Mm-hmm. As somebody who's young in this fishery and there's a lot of captains and there's a lot of people involved, are there certain things that you've tried to do to help yourself stand out or be known for, for something? Just my diversity, you know, just me being able to do everything. You know, I like it all, you know. Unfortunately, my dad, you know, he just likes flats fishing mm-hmm. and he'll do, you know, lobstering at night, which is bully netting. It's, you know, it's different than diving. I like going diving. I like going sail fishing. I like going bone fishing. I like going peacock fishing. I like, you know, pretty much everything I has that Florida has to give us, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much that, you know. Some captains just only do um, Biscayne or they'll only do bone fishing permit tarpon. Some captains only do only Everglades. Mm-hmm. Some captains only do offshore, you know. But I think that's what made me stand out. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's certain things that for people who do isolate into one area that they miss out on? Um, definitely, you know, just a different fishery, especially if they like end up learning and liking it. But there's also people that only stick to that because they're like, oh, you know, what's the point of catching mahi or stupid fish? You know, mm-hmm. they'll eat anything. Or, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, I don't even eat fish, so what's mm-hmm. the point of me targeting fish that I could eat? I rather target a bonefish tarpon, you know, permit. So it's def- it's definitely different for everyone. As somebody who likes to fly fish, but you also do offshore, do you ever mix the two together and do offshore fly fishing? Oh yeah, I've gotten a lot of dolphin on fly, and we've tried even yellowtailing on fly. I've gotten muttons on fly, little groupers on fly. You know, nothing crazy, but I've done it. You know. Yeah. And- and that's so in and you were talking about you fish some with Royce who's kind of similar like fishes flats fishes offshore yeah. um what are some tips that you have to trying to catch my mahi on fly um just you know a big white fly or pretty much anything that has you know colors or shiny and as long as you, you know bring it in pretty quick they'll be all over it mm-hmm. you know sometimes they're gonna have a full moon and they're not gonna want to eat because they've been eating on it mm-hmm. and sometimes it'll be actually hard to get them to eat that fly where you throw a live pilchard and they'll be all over it. But most of the time, 90% of the time, those mahi will devour anything. Mm-hmm. You could throw a freaking piece of, uh, tie one feather on the hook and they'll go crazy over it, you know? Yeah, I was also curious, what's the, the craziest thing that you've ever caught on fly? Definitely these big tarpon. You know, I've hooked up tarpon, 100 plus pounds, what, 30 pound leader and they're doing circles around the boat going crazy jumping because they're like what the heck just happened <laughs> definitely tarpon just i'm pretty sure a lot of people can agree with me also just these big historic fish on fly 
eating a little fly that's the size of you know a dime. Just I think that's the most thing on fly that I've caught. Outside of your own like family and people in your community, were there any figures like Jose Wahebe or anybody like that that you looked up to? Yeah, definitely Jose. Jose, you know, Cuban guy that did it all, you know. He did everything. Freshwater, flats, offshore, definitely Jose. Every year at the boat show, you know, growing up, I'd go talk to him, and he'd be like one of the only guys at the time that would give me time of day to talk to me and my dad, you know. That was definitely a, a, somebody else besides my dad that was definitely a role model growing up. What about him outside of the, just obviously as a kid who's like a young Cuban kid who loves the fish, you know, you, you have that connection. But outside of that, like what about how he fished connected with you? It's just he's he always did everything that I wanted to do like growing up, you know, offshore. I've always liked offshore, you know, even though my dad never really got into it. I've always wanted to prosper and go learn it, you know, just watching it shows. Growing up, you know, he was going Key West, you know, catching this big dolphin and, and uh, kingfish. And it's like, damn, you know, one day I want to do that and learn how to do it. You had mentioned a lot of people get into trouble, obviously in big cities. There's no shortage of opportunities to, to get in trouble. Um, was there ever a time in your life where you felt like you almost fell off course or you, you kind of got away from fishing? Um, the only thing that ever pushed me away from fishing and it barely ever did was baseball and you know I was just a sport my dad had me in so when we couldn't go fishing during the week you know I'd be doing something else mm. like playing baseball and um I've never really you know hung around like really bad people you know obviously I've seen it you know I've been around bad people I know bad people that made some wrong choices in their life but definitely that's the only other thing that's ever pushed me away from fishing is baseball. Another question I, th that I wanted to ask is obviously there's just a lot of, there's a lot of pressure around Miami. So you got a lot of eyes on the water with the social media and internet world. You got a lot of eyes, even, you know, somebody could be watching what people are doing from a desk somewhere, not even yeah. on the water. What do you try to do to kind of try to help keep things in this fishery on the down low? Well, definitely when I take a picture of a fish, I don't want anything in the background that somebody can see, like, oh, I know exactly where that tree is or that mangrove line, stuff like that. Um, every time I go fishing, keep it pretty much in a tight loop of people. I have a certain you know amount of friends that we're all, you know, we have this big game plan. We're like, hey, you know, today we're here, we're fishing here, they're here, you know, or vice versa. Like, I'll go and be like, hey, look, you know, there's fish here. But definitely, like you said, the Instagram really has blown up um, the fishing around here, especially Biscayne Bay lately. And, um, yeah, man, just everybody's been pretty much blasting the bay lately. So for you, it's just mostly just being careful with what you upload and who, who you talk to. Do you have any other things like if you if for instance like if you see like a bunch of people out one day will you just not even fish a certain area a certain flat or um definitely if there's you know a certain amount of people on one side of the bay i'll be like all right i'm gonna go do something else because i don't want to be around anybody i don't want you know even if i don't mind being around people but you know i also want to give them their privacy so if i see somebody at a certain flat that two boats can fit on i'm still not going to get on it so yeah it goes somewhere else for sure definitely what do you think 
Miami anglers and captains are better at than everybody else? Is there anything that makes Miami captains unique? Like other than other captains from somewhere else? Yeah. Like what are the things that make captains who are kind of cut from the cloth down here in Miami unique? Um, I think it's just the diversity of the fishing. You know, we can literally go out for anything um, versus a guide from up north in, let's say, Naples. He can only go fish Chukaluski, Marco Island, the Gulf, pretty much, where if it's a calm enough day, we can go out in a skiff, catch dolphin, come back in at 12 o'clock because the tide's right, and go catch a bonefish on the flat. That'll, I think that definitely separates us from everyone else around Outside of um, time on the water, like what do you think's been most shaping in your in your life as a captain? Definitely um, cleaning up, man. I don't want to see like I want to drive down the street and see a bag of garbage there. It's like you know, it's the same thing. It's like it's like if you see it on the water, mm-hmm. it's like oh you don't want to see garbage in the in the water. It's like mm-hmm. eventually you never know that garbage might go down the drain and up out the ocean. Mm-hmm. So definitely stuff like that like shapes me to be like a better captain, better person, mm-hmm. stuff like that. What's your your favorite day in the bay that that you've ever had? Oh, one of the, um, one of my favorite days has been um, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Hugged my biggest bonefish on five. It was thirty three inches to the fork. Wow. Yeah, probably about twelve thirteen pounds. Wow. What's the? Is there a different like anything you gotta do different with a bonefish of that size? Um, definitely not take them out of the water. I wouldn't. And yeah. I keep them in the net as much as possible. Um, make sure, you know, I'd get in in the water. I got in in the water and took pics of them. Definitely not take them out of the water. Yeah. W- what are some other mistakes that, that's that's an interesting part too, is you guys have so many boaters and people fishing just because of the the size of the city. Like what are some of the big like no-nos and mistakes that you see out on the water? Um, definitely people burning a flat and, you know, there's a lot of people that there should be like a driver's license test to own a boat. Mm -hmm. I see it all the time. People running flats, getting stuck. And then once they're stuck, they just power the motor and mess up the whole flat grass flat. Mm -hmm. You know, they just mess things up and it's terrible. Yeah. You guys are like a home of the qualified captain. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I see, I feel like Miami's maybe yeah. number one. You think? I'm very. I'm. I'm pretty good friends with the guy, and I always send him videos. Probably at least <laughs> twice, three times a week. Yeah, for sure. For sure, number one. Um, man, I, I I really appreciate just kind of having an opportunity to sit down and get to know your story a little bit, and um, really great kind of hearing about your relationship with your father. That's yeah. really encouraging to me. Um, and thanks so much for the time and hanging out today. No problem, man. This was a very good thing you guys invited me over and made me do this. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I'm very nervous about it. No, nah, but and, I appreciate um, it. Yeah, I appreciate it as well, man. You guys are great people, and I love what you're doing with the podcast. Thanks, man. No problem. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective.
Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.